Hello and welcome to episode 63 of the Free Out Big Footy podcast. This week we're going to review the game versus Brisbane where Fremantle in the end managed to get over the line quite comfortably over Brisbane after a pretty solid fourth quarter. And then we'll have a look at the Waffle game versus Peel Thunder and then the big upcoming clash in the grand final replay against the Hawks down at Tassie. Joining us this week is our usual resident Victorian expert, Seppo. How are you, mate? I am very good and looking forward to another big contest this weekend against the Hawks. Yeah, Seppo, last week Fremantle ended up winning 13 goals 684 to 7 goals 648 and was definitely a little bit closer for three quarters than what we would have uh, anticipated prior to the game. And once again, Fremantle uh, played in uh, wet conditions for the majority of it, which has been a sort of bit of a theme for the last four or five weeks. Yeah, it's certainly been the case for the last six or seven games now in the wet. And certainly we didn't uh, adjust well into that last quarter. And I know shocking moments in the game where you're sort of just looking at how wet it was around the boundary and, and how still clean we weren't with the ball. Um, I think there was passages play there where some of the players just slipped the ball through their hands. Not many were falling over. I noticed Ballantyne stayed on his feet a bit more during this game and... Uh, it wasn't until a bit of class and quick goals, and I think Russell Lyon mentioned in the post-match about our uh, cleaner, quicker movement with guys like Clark turning and going and just kicking the ball forward. It led to those flurry of goals early on, one after the other, and, and got the good results. So it's a bit nervous three-quarter time being that close. I don't know we'd grind out the win, but it was just a matter of how much, and I'm glad the guys actually put it out to a, a respectable margin and roughly uh, close to that 40-point mark. Yeah, it was a definitely, like, I noticed in the first, I mean, you might have seen a little bit different, Seppo, being on the tally, but I noticed in the first five to ten minutes when the ground was dry, Fremantle definitely seemed to be moving the ball a lot quicker. And I know we talked about last week about trying to get the ball back through the corridor rather than being on the outside. And they seemed to be making a very concerted effort in that in the first ten minutes. And then the rain came down and it sort of took away a bit of that momentum. And they kicked a couple of goals early. And then it sort of evened up a bit more when the rain came and they sort of kept handballing the ball around a little bit too much instead of just making ground position. Yeah, I think when you look at the um, kick to handball, I think early on, I think the guys weren't going as much with their kicks. And then towards the end of the game, they started to kick and move the ball more quickly. Um, I know we pummeled the ball inside 50s. We had 53 of them, but not many marks inside 50. So that was one area that I think that's where Walter stood up again. I know he's been on a, a good run, kicked about 18 goals over the past five or six weeks. And, Bagged another four again, um, which was uh, fantastic to see. And he, he's backed that up with a couple of tackles as well, a bit of forward pressure where some of the other guys aren't just uh, 100% yet with that. Yeah, and it was good to see. I mean, obviously, we've been expecting Nat Five to sort of carry us a bit this year. And he didn't play a bad game again on the weekend. But it was those other guys like Lockie Neal and Dave Mundy in particular who stood up. And our back line once again held sway. And I thought... With the exception of a couple of free kicks and 50-metre penalties, they were pretty solid all day. And it was good to see Alex Pierce once again play a terrific game in only his fifth game and looks at home down the back there. Yeah, you can see he's uh, got a bit of a dare. And I mentioned it in that little toast thread of him on the board that you know he's, he's very brave and he uses confidence. He just wants to take the game on a bit. And there was a little deft touch. I think he um, toe-poked the ball or picked it up cleanly and just sort of Rather than just looking to dish it off, he actually just took off through the middle and um, really shone, shone a bit of a, 
Bit of Johnson-like drive from the back line as a, as a taller defender because he held his own as well against uh, some of the taller Brisbane forwards. But um, one moment, you, know, you just mentioned about Fife sort of having an off game. It's probably his worst for the year and, and one game that he might not appear in the Brownlow votes. I just noticed how uh, hard Mitch Robinson was actually getting into Fife and, and there was a couple of guys that did their bit to, you know, Subin and um, I think Daniel Pierce even trying came in there to separate the two and give off a bit of clearance, but it wasn't until the uh, the last that Fife sort of really took off and, and had an influence because early on it wasn't his normal game and I think he was getting a bit frustrated, but thank God he didn't lash out and <laughs> cop a suspension or anything because it certainly was a bit heated early on and um, I'm just glad he sort of pushed through that. Still picked up 27 disposals, but I'm not sure if that's his lowest for the year, but certainly wasn't his best game. Yeah, and you could see that they were trying to do that and they, as you said, Daniel Pierce. Gave away a free kick, and they've just got to be a little bit smarter about when they when they're trying to protect them. Doing it in the middle of the oval, right next to the umpire, was just, just silly by Pierce. And then obviously Sandy Ray gold uh, Robinson near the fifty as well, and then gave and then there was a fifty meter penalty on top of that, which didn't help. But at least they're trying to look out for their uh, you know fellow teammate. It'll be interesting to see if they adapt a little bit better this week against the Hawks. Who will certainly be doing their best to ruffle the feathers. I thought another player who continued his probably close to all Australian form was Ibbotson, who once again had a terrific game down back, Seppo. Yeah, it's, he picked up 20 touches again. Um, he's He's been in form, and, and one thing that's um, probably held up with, obviously, no Johnson, no Dawson, no Silvani, is the fact that McFarlane and, and Ibbotson are, are still down there and doing a great job, because Ibbotson didn't start the year that well, but I think his last you know few games in the wet, and when Johnson hasn't been there, he's stepped up a gear and starting to get back to that All-Australian form that everyone knew at the start of the year. I think his last few games of late last year were fantastic. So he's been a, a crucial part to why our defence. And if you consult the old squiggle, while we're still one of the best defensive-rated teams and there weren't too many of the uh, Brisbane goals that were actually getting through, and I think the goals they did keep were quite lucky. Like Lewenberger kicked uh, one on a, from a free kick and one on a very tight angle. And I know Green and... Um, some of the other guys who was I mentioning last week on the podcast that I thought might be a bit of a problem, Zorko. Louis Taylor kicked one, I think, from the... Louis Taylor, yeah. So there was only one or two, and some of them... I think Louis Taylor was a fantastic goal. That was that little sort of snap on the tight angle. So no one really sort of kicked away too many goals from that side of things. So that was good job for the defenders, not only Ibbotson, but guys like Spur and and, um, Duffield as well who came back in. And it was good to see Daniel Pearce probably showed a little bit more form going back to what he was playing a little bit earlier. Probably been down a little bit in the last few weeks. And uh, Zach Clark came in after being dropped for a couple of weeks. And considering the conditions, I thought he uh, did a little bit and um, certainly looked a little bit stronger around the contest at times as well, Seppo. Yeah, it's it's not too bad from those type of players. And I think um, Clark put on a good tackle or, or good chase early on and, and his work rate is lifted a bit more and this is what we want to see. So, um, you know, three tackles from the, the big man Clark and a couple of one percenters, big spoils and everything like that was uh, good to see them next to his name and a couple of goal assists as well. So hopefully he can maintain his spot and um, we'll see what we can do going forward. Do you think it was the right move pulling uh, Tabner off that early? Because I thought, yeah, maybe in the wet, but... I don't know, maybe they, they knew this rain was coming. They could have started the game without tabs and, and go with a small and bring maybe Sutcliffe in. But I think it was odd that they uh, 
they pulled him off so quickly. I think he took two good marks on the wing early on and then sort of disappeared and I'm not sure what point of the game. He had 30, 39% time on ground, so it was early when he uh, came off. Yeah, I, it's a pretty tough one, really, uh, Seppo. Like, when I was going down and catching the train to the game, it was sort of fine, and then you could sort of look on the radar and there was, like, little bits of a showers, and it certainly didn't look like the heavy rain that was predicted. That, there was certainly no sign of that heavy rain that we saw in the second quarter. And I really do think we do need to play, as Ross Lyon said, we do need to play Taberner and get used to him. And he looked good earlier, and every game he's played this year, he looks good in that first quarter. It's just a matter of him being consistent. And unfortunately, like he's been subbed out six times, I think, as a sub, and a lot of those have been condition-based. I think the way the game was sitting at that point in time, we had to make that move uh, and bring De Boer in because he certainly was going to give us a little bit more than what Tabs was at that point in time. And Sandlins and those guys were bringing the ball to ground, and even though Pav had... That gastro, he certainly bobbed up with a couple of goals, particularly an important one at the start of the last quarter. So I think it was the right move. It was probably more an argument whether whether we had him in at the beginning, but I'm not sure whether having Sutcliffe in for him was going to be the right sort of interchange either, unless you were going to play Sutcliffe further up the ground or put Sutcliffe back and then move Sheridan into the midfield. Uh, but, you know... It, it was a tough one, and you just didn't know whether that rain was going to be as bad as it was, and then cleared up towards the end of the game. So mm. it was an iffy one. What did you think of Duffield's performance? Obviously, been out for about four or five weeks. Seppo, how did you think he uh, performed? Uh, he didn't set the world on fire, but he did a uh, a solid job without being outstanding on sort of Ibbotson's level. So um, still think it's a bit of uh, room to improve there with him, but at least he um, didn't absolutely stink it up after having a a spell in the Magoos. So at least he's um, hopefully seen what he has to do and certainly he's um, got a lot, lot of work to do actually stay on the side. So um, it was an okay. It was a bit scratching my head last week when there was a couple others to be um, still outside of the side with Mzungu. But you know, I suppose I didn't like I was saying last week, didn't mind Sutcliffe getting dropped and we'll have a look at the changes later on. But I think he gets a pass mark for that without a, a big um, elephant stamp or a big A-plus sticker. <laughs> Yeah, one of the interesting points, like looking through, if you look at the stats this year, Seppo, is that Fremantle have ranked 16th in terms of bringing the ball out of defence in like, well, you know, the defensive chain, as they call it, and then getting it into inside 50s. But if you look at our percentages last week in disposal efficiency, four of our defenders, Lee Spur, Tommy Sheridan, Ibbotson and Clancy Pierce, who are basically our four users from the back, were all running 75-plus. Yet all of yeah. our players midfield and below... And even in our forward line, we're running up pretty much under that percentage. I don't think there was anyone else on the ground who was above that 75% disposal efficiency. So there's definitely still that bit of a breakdown between when we're bringing the ball out of defence and getting it into the inside 50s. And it's going to be really critical this week when we play Hawthorne to be able to try and rectify that ball movement. Yeah, Lockie, Lockie Neal was a high efficiency out of that. Midfield group, I think it was operating about 78%, um, and that was still with 14 kicks. It's not all just handballs for him. I think Lockie Neal's one that I think he had a, a game early in the season. I think it was the game against Melbourne at the Jets where he was going at 90, 97 or 98%. He racked up as well. So Lockie Neal, even though early on you wouldn't call him a good, actually a pretty smart user of the footy and make sure his kicks stick. And I think he goes to the safe, safer ones if a, a safe handball or a, a kick sideways or... 
we're just watching along. They're usually from 50, and it's one step, and it's going through at goal height. So um, yeah. he's been one of our good users of the ball in the midfield, but some of the other guys need a bit of work. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Lockie Neal, as you're saying, Sefo, is he tends to either have a... He's in the clearances, so he either has a very short handball, which is going to count, or he tends to be that guy that drifts out of our midfielders. He tends to be the one that drifts back into the defensive 50. So even really, a lot of his kicks are still coming from that same position where... Uh, Sheridan, Spur, Clancy Pierce are taking that from that defensive 50 there. So he doesn't tend to get a lot of uh, kicks inside 50. If you have a look at his inside 50 stats, he doesn't get a lot of... Ins- he does get, you know, a few, but a lot of them tend to be more in that defensive half rather than being in the sort of forward half or they tend to be more ones out of stoppages rather than being mm. the uh, one-to-one. So it's just something that'll be interesting to see this week playing the... Hawks, who will certainly punish us if we don't have those uh, kicking skills on, you know, and who knows what one, we're going to get in Tassie. One thing I've seen with the uh, rebound 50s is Stephen Hill drifting back a bit more and, and Mundy pushing forward. I think you, you'd probably get Mundy drifting back and a couple of rebounds and um, Hill doing inside 50s, but the numbers have sort of swapped around over the last couple of weeks and Hill's been dropped behind the ball a bit more. Um, and I think Mundy's, he had four inside 50s for the game. He's playing a bit along with guys like Barlow and um, probably Daniel Pearce that are pushing the ball forward more from the midfield. So I like Stephen Hill when he's in the back line because it helps with that drive. I think we've probably got enough both users of the ball back there. Uh, I think it might be time to get Stephen Hill back forward and start to deliver that ball in to the forwards because it's um, yeah just letting us down a bit, that linking chain. Yeah, Stephen Hill, you know, when we played those games earlier in the year like Geelong and that sort of stuff, he was devastating bringing that ball inside 50. You know, and you'd probably like to see him take it on a little bit more. Like, there's been a number of times in the last few weeks, Seppo, where he's sort of undenied about whether to take the man on, and they've cut his left hand, left side off, and then he's tried to double back on the to his right foot, and it hasn't been quite as effective. You'd rather just sort of see him back his pace in and just try and out run the guy, and then then try and kick it because he just seems to get himself in the you know, probably a bit like not quite Daniel Pierce's level where. You know, but those left footers just seem to sometimes put, paint themselves into a bit of a hole. And it seems to have happened a little bit more recently than, than it was early in the season. Mm. Any other points you want to bring about this game? No, other than the fact that this is probably another one we've got through, except for Pav's illness that he sort of came into the game with, but no injuries. So our, our run of good luck with the, you know banking four points and no injuries has continued. So I'm, I'm pretty pleased with that result, although the... Uh, Margin probably wasn't too low liking, and Brisbane gave us a bit of a scare. But um, yeah, thank God for that. It's definitely a game of two or a quarter and a half. The first half of the first quarter and the last quarter were really solid, good football, and then the middle two quarters and the second half of the first quarter were pretty ordinary, which was similar to what we saw in the Gold Coast games. So, but Fremantle will definitely take a bit of confidence, I think, from that last quarter in particular, where they were able to sort of pull away and use the ball a lot more effectively and. Kicking seven goals will certainly give them a little bit more confidence going to this week against the Hawks. Mm. All right, during the week, on, on the weekend as well, we saw Peel Thunder play a game against Subiaco, and it was the game of the day on the Channel 7 here this week, Seppo. And it was a very disappointing result in the end with Fremantle's uh, reserve side losing six goals, 8-44 to 15-9-99. And... Fremantle just never looked like in it all day with, once again, a pretty wet game with a lot of rain on and Subiaco was just a class above all day. 
And there wasn't a lot of standout players for that game. And it was just a pretty disappointing performance overall, really. Yeah, and you can see, um, obviously, Griffin had 35 hit-outs and um, kicked two goals. And it was good to see that Hurley um, hit the scoreboard again with one. Um, but, yeah, there's not much to take really out of some of the numbers other than um, I've been reading a lot of reports that guys like Brady Gray and Weller did okay and, and were pretty hard and um, played pretty well for, for their standards. So it's good to see at least guys, some of the guys there have, have been consistent and, and providing you know, Peel get some good results later on. Let's just uh, hope they continue that way. Yeah, Brady Gray was probably, I would argue, probably close to our best on the ground for the day. And I know that, uh, and he was laying in the best four or five on the ground. Ballard got a few touches, but overall it was a pretty uninspiring performance. Ootman once again toiled hard, and he's certainly pushing his best for getting a recall into an AFL side, whether it be as a rookie, you would have to think at this stage. Mozunga was a bit disappointing, unfortunately. I thought he might have, you know, and it was probably hard because he thought he might have been a chance to play this week. Um, there was certainly talk that he would be in the mix, but missed out and certainly didn't probably... Probably played his worst game in a month for Peel. So, and uh, and other guys like Crozier and Blakely, um, Crozier in particular, sort of had a bit of a roaming role. So, got a lot of the ball, but didn't really use it as effectively as we would have liked. Uh, so, so it certainly was certainly wasn't a great performance, one they'll need to build on for the next couple of weeks. And unfortunately, um, guys like Duffy last week who played really well just just had a real uh, ordinary day at the office. Mm. I had had. Uh, the origin because I noticed for some reason on the Peel, uh, this website here, the Waffle, that he was named in the best for Peel. So it'd be interesting to see what type of a game he's played and how well he's adapting and if he's actually getting a lot of coaching out there or if it's all actually coming natural to him. Yeah. He's definitely a uh, he's definitely a better forward than he is a defender. Uh, I think if he's going to have any chance of making it for us, he's going to probably make it as a forward. He probably can't say he's like a Jack Darling, but he'll, play, he'll probably be that third role that third type forward. Um, he's certainly got a bit of bulk and speed about him, but compared, I, I haven't seen all of the games, Seppo, but the ones I have seen, he's definitely looked more comfortable as a forward than he has as a defender, and unless something changes. But, you know, a couple of the other guys, you know, Hanneth last week had two good games, and you'd hope he would have come out and really shown a bit, and too many times he got easily moved out of the contest um, against Waffle standard players, and, you know, it was just really disappointing. You would have would have thought that they would have definitely come out and shown a little bit more. Mm. So we'll hopefully see a bit better performance this week for uh, Peel Thunder because, yeah, you know, against East Fremantle, who haven't really had their own turmoil, and I think they've lost the last six straight, you'd expect to see a pretty good performance this week. All right. Yeah, hopefully the guys that stay at home uh, do a pretty good job on the waffle because it's what we want is uh, good performances from them and stringing a couple of games to get the call up because I know a lot of people now on the board get the feeling that, you know, the guys don't want to play the youth and the guys like Blakely and Weller and probably Duffy and some of the other guys that have been waiting for a call-up, but they've got to put it in week, out, week in, week out and hopefully get the call-up when the time comes. Yeah, I mean, it's always an interesting conundrum about playing the youth. I mean, you look at the teams that are up top, like Sydney, like Sydney Hawthorne, those sort of teams, they only play the youth, mate, when, they're, uh, when they've got injuries. Those guys are just mm. developing in the, for Box Hill they don't, they don't sort of drop their star players and their, or, you know, or even their average players who've had poor games and bring them in. Like, you know, look at this week, like Liverland, who's um, coming to the side. He's been on the list four or five years. Woodward's been the same. They're not, 
not like they're dropping their youth play or their sort of good players. Roughheads out, so another youngster gets a chance, but it's not like they're doing it every week either. You know, those yeah, top four or five true. teams, you're in premiership mode. You're not there to develop the youngsters. You know, teams like Essendon at the moment or teams like Carlton should be doing that. But when you're in a premiership mode, you've got to play your best 22. Now, if those guys are best 22, then I think, fair enough, you play them. But if they're not, you don't. You, you've got to back the guys you know who who you think are going to get you there in the end. Mm. What do you think of the, what are the uh, obviously, big game this week? Pepo down in Launceston or Hobart or Launceston with uh, the Hawks. What's your uh, what's the ins and outs this week, mate? Or Antarctica this week if you uh, <laughs> if you've yeah. been down there before and know what it's like. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a big change for Hawthorne. They've dropped uh, Jonathan Segler, the ruckman, but they brought big uh, Ben McAvoy back in along with uh, Hartung, Litherland, and Woodward into their. Uh, squad with um, three to be omitted from there. And also uh, they've got Paul Pawapolo playing his 100th game. And over to the Frio side, we've got Mzungu coming in with Suckliffe and Griffin added to the squad of 25 with obviously three to come out there. And the way they've been doing it in the past, they've been naming them the, in, the ins usually on the uh, interchange and, and making the final cut from there. So it'll be interesting to see who actually makes the final cut out of those. There hasn't been too many changes to the positions on the field. But it's um yeah it'll be interesting to see who actually makes the fly across out of that twenty five and yeah the uh, not so young Luke McFarlane plays his two hundred fiftieth game this weekend and I've uh, made his milestone banner the other night and I'm not for, fortunately going down to Tasmania to see this game but um yeah let's, let's just hope for Luke that the um he plays a, a good game and 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 the guys you know get out there and, and really support Luke and, and what he's done for 250 games, most of those being for our club. Obviously, he played about 12 or 13 games with the Hawks, so it's uh, quite fitting. You know, he's, he's playing this game against his uh, club that he started out against. Yeah, and it's a terrific performance, as you said, Seppo, considering the injuries he had early in his career and with the uh, OP and all that sort of stuff. And even now, you'd have to, I think I saw a tweet from uh, one of the blessed journos the other day along with probably Glass and uh, Scarlett, probably one of the best three key defenders in the comp in the last decade. And it's hard to argue with. He's just been terrific. And we would have been all sorts of pain if he didn't have him, if he did retire at the end of last year. Uh, and he's just, once again, hasn't missed a beat and looks like he could play again next year. And, uh, I mean, it'd be great to see him back. But, you know, you've just got to enjoy those times while he's out there because he's just a terrific player. Once again, yeah, it was, good to, it was actually good to hear in that press conference he did that he was actually close and just weighing up if he would go on, you know, this year, obviously from last year, the conversations he was having and, and just how his body checked out and he was feeling good enough and he sort of got the all all clear and, and knew that he could actually go on for another year and, and thank God we, we did because if he pulled the pin and, and we were without not only him but Johnson and Dawson and Silvani, we'd be... Uh, playing guys like Alex Pierce and maybe Tanner Smith and Vandalure in the back line and maybe we wouldn't be sitting in the position we are on the ladder. So thank God for McFarlane. I think it's going to be hard for his body, but I suppose he's just looking and I know he's you know, anticipating the return of some other key defenders to probably give him a rest. So let's hope he can get a rest at some point and be a part of September action because it seems every year that we're always missing someone crucial in the back line, be it Ibbotson or Johnson or Clancy or... McFarlane at you know September time, so let's just hope that he can be a part of it this year. Yeah, and for all the talk we you just mentioned, Stepo, about teams playing their youth, 
you're looking through that Hawthorne squad, particularly the 18 that are listed all, there's not too many guys in there who haven't played at least 100 games or experience. You look through all of their list and most of them are, a lot of them are over 30 or close to 30. If you look at guys like Lake, Mitchell, Hodge, Gibson, Burgoyne, there's a lot, uh, David Hale, there's certainly a lot of, and Jordan Lewis, all those guys are pushing the 30 mark. So they certainly haven't got a, you know, a sprinkling of uh, youth or inexperienced players through there. And with the exception of Roughhead, who's obviously out at the moment, they've got, and uh, James Forley, who was their new recruit, they're pretty much close to full strength. So it's certainly going to be a tough test for us down there. Uh, obviously, having Roughhead out leaves McFarlane to probably pick up the likes of Gunston, you would think. And then it'd be interesting to see who they use Alex Pierce on, whether he goes with Sean Makers or David Hale or someone like that as well. Well, it's interesting just the talk on the board this week about maybe giving Alex Pierce a big test and getting giving him Gunston and let McFarlane and Ibbotson just sit behind loose and double-team him because I think Shawmaker's the type they want to play him forward. You can sort of just let him go. And if, if Ruckman there, I know Ibbotson tends to play on a resting Ruckman and and play on a really uh, tall forward if, if needs be. But it'll be interesting to see if they give Alex Pierce a big test or go with a safety option and make Luke McFarlane play the one that goes... Uh, closer to goal and maybe let Alex Pierce run up the field a bit and learn to uh, follow the movements of big forwards that run up and down the field. So it will be interesting, the matchups, but yeah, thank God they don't have rough it out there because that would be a huge stretch for our key position defenders to have to deal with both both those two. Wow. Looking down to the other end, Seth, I think our real advantage is going to be probably with our small forwards, with the likes of Walters and Ballantyne. If you have a look through the Hawks, backline in particular, they don't have any guys who are really a natural matchups for them. They have, like, Jarea or probably, you'd have to think, would probably play on one of them. And But even if you use guys like Suckling or, you know, players like that, or whether they use someone like a Stratton in that role, they generally sort of, if you can push them deeper, it might make it a bit more uncomfortable for them. But at the same time, we probably need Ballantyne to be that, even though he's pressuring that's been really good, we probably need him to hit the scoreboard of that little bit more to uh, make them a bit more accountable down there. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, one of the biggest worries now looking through that whole Hawthorne list is probably the uh, Cyril Rioli, who always seems to turn it on and, and, and kick a couple of goals every stage. So if Ruffhead was out there, he'd probably be the biggest risk. But I think now it's um, probably a lot of focus now goes on to Cyril Rioli. And for, for our guys, I'm not sure if it's going to be Spur that gets a job on him or if it's Puapolo, but... Uh, there'll be a, a lot of key matchups for our defenders because Hawks certainly have some firepower and it's not just one or two that are kicking goals. I think we've probably got a, a bit of a spread at the moment. People seem to be a bit up and down with the bags of goals they're kicking. And I think if Pavlich can you know, get over his little bit of uh, gastro and find a bit of form and Ballantyne finds his uh, away boots that he never seems to pack, it'll be uh, great if we can get Walters, Pavlich and Ballantyne all kicking goals and even... Clark and Maine as they drift forward. I know they're usually good for one or two goals between them a game, so let's just hope that our, our forward power can kick a winning score because it's going to be a, probably another low-scoring game. I don't know how windy it's going to be, but I think the temperature's going to be about 12 degrees down in uh, Tassie on the Sunday. It's going to be quite interesting to see how we go because even just you know looking at the squad we've got listed there, I know the last three mentioned in order would be from the back, Griffin, DeBoer and Neil, so... If it's going to be another wet slog, I'd want to see Neil and DeBoer in there. And it'd be just interesting to see if um, Tavner comes out, Mazunga comes in as the final change, or if they give Sheridan a rest and um, get Sutcliffe 
and Mzungu back into the side. So what are your thoughts on the final changes we could probably pull from that list? Well, I think you've got to play Tabano um, because you can't leave Josh Gibson alone. Because if Tabano doesn't play, Josh Gibson will be able to play that loose man and be unaccountable. So I think they'll probably try and maybe play Stratton on him, but you've got to at least play Tabernet to make Gibson accountable, if nothing else. Uh, as for the other guys in there, it, it's a pretty tough one, I think, for any of the three guys to come out in terms of whether you look at um, Sutcliffe, Mazungu or Griffin. Unless they don't play Sandlands or something like that, you can't see Griffin playing unless they decide to rest Sandlands. Yep. And Mazungu, whether he comes in for De Boer is a possibility. Um you know, they're probably fighting for the same spot, I would have thought. Um, and DeBoer's been the star of the ground, hasn't he now? Sorry, what was that? You just broke up a bit, mate. DeBoer's come on twice as a sub now, hasn't he? Yeah. So I... usually they try and mix it up and not do too many times in a row. So maybe there's a candidate to say that Mizzou and DeBoer comes out of the side or maybe gets full run. So you'd think they wouldn't have DeBoer again as the, the sub of the starting or... Pull him out, maybe for leave him at home for a game in the waffle. Well, it depends on how they want to look, use up Mitchell as well, mate. Because um, Mitchell is obviously one of the players that drives the Hawks midfield, and a lot of teams have been trying to negate him in the past. We've used Crowley in that role pretty effectively, but without him in there, that might be the only way you can see maybe Mazungu coming into the into the game, and then they decide to play him in that sort of role unless they decide to use Clancy Pierce. But you couldn't imagine Clancy going up into the midfield playing that whole role. It's going to be a tough tough decision and whether they play the two Hill boys on each other as well. I mean, there's matchups and mm. possibilities all over the place. That's the hard thing when you look at Hawthorne. They do have players who can play a multitude of positions and they do pride themselves on being able to rotate more than just six or seven blokes through the middle. If you look through their side, they quite often have Bruce go up there or you've got Will Langford as well. Um, Liam Shields plays quite regularly through there, or even Rioli to a degree. So they've got a range of players who can play through different positions and they sort of make you push to different spots where they're not comfortable. So it's going to be interesting to see how Lyon lines up on them and also whether they, how much he wants to show the Hawks as well. At the moment, both teams are first and fourth on the ladder and depending on what happens, they could uh, meet up again in the finals. You know, whether it be in the first week or in the prelim as well, Seppo. Yeah, it's a, a big test. And I think we can probably escape the top four a bit. You know, if we manage to knock the, the Hawks out and give some of those other side a chance, it's quite interesting even just when you look through the whole fixture of the games coming up. There's there's no certainties um, this week. And if you even just cast your eye over the current score for Port Adelaide, they just uh, kick four goals too to Collingwood's nothing. So... It's funny how things can change on a week-to-week basis that um, some sides just drop up. But if we can manage to push Hawks out and not give them a, a top-four spot and keep our winning ways going, and, and if we can continue this run that we've got right the way through, it's going to be uh, fantastic to sew up a top-two spot. But it's um, going to be very hard, I think, to actually get a, a win down in Tassie with our, our current form. It, certainly, if we just go in and, and play as we have been playing, I know some guys have been quite critical on the board, and I think if you look at the, uh, even just what the squid, squiggle predicts, you know, uh, a narrow win to the Hawks, it's it's kind of we need to do something special to get our attack right, get our 
offensive sort of patterns working for us and um, I just don't know exactly how it's going to come about or want to be a little moment or a change to the side or a structure or something, but it's going to be uh, quite interesting to see how it battles out this Sunday. I think part of it as well, so far, is that whether we wanted to or not, Luke McFarlane touched on it the other day when he was taught, you know, at half time in his interview where he's talking about the right mindset. And this is a, we've had this string of games where we have played teams at a bottom, near the bottom of the ladder and for whatever reason we haven't played at our best. But you think coming up against the Hawks, be, those sort of guys will certainly be a lot more switched on mentally and they're going to certainly come out and give them a, a much better account of themselves, you would have to think. The other area as well is some of these guys will be auditioning four spots, you know. I don't think, the reality is I don't think Hawthorne will finish out of the top four, whether they win or lose this game. If you look in the last couple of weeks against with Collingwood, Sebo, they've started to play those top teams and, you know, even tonight have struggled a little bit. And I think West Coast are going to do the same. They've got a pretty tough run coming up uh, pretty shortly where they play, you know, they've got Collingwood, Sydney, Gold Coast away, which is tough, and then Hawthorne, and then the Derby. So they've got a string of five games. So it's hard to see Hawthorne, who've got Sydney the week after, but then they play Carlton, Richmond, West Coast. You'd have to think that they would win enough games with their quality being top four, and Sydney will probably be there as well. It's just whoever makes that last spot realistically at this stage. Mm. The other matchup which will be interesting will in the past the Hawks have decided to pretty much give Sandilands the tap and they've worked off our hitouts. It'll be interesting to see how they with McAvoy coming in who hasn't played in the side for the last five or six weeks, uh, how their midfield gels with those sort of you know, whether they just decide to ruck uh, or tap Shark Sandilands taps or whether they you know, whether McAvoy goes up and tries to play more head to head. In, because getting those clearances is going to be critical in this game, particularly if it is wet. Um, and when we play them, you know, people talk about our poor record against them, but a lot of those times we have played them uh, away, Seppo. It's not like we've played them at home very often in the last few games that we've played them. And, and when we did, we beat them. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. So yeah. it hasn't been so, a uh, game where we've played. I think if we have a look in the last... Uh, where is it? In the last few games we played them one, two, three, four, five. In the last six games we played them only once at home. So and as you said, we beat them by nineteen points. So that's that is a little bit misleading, you know, when you uh look at it the last time we played them at home and lost was two thousand eleven at Patterson's. But other than that, the rest of the games have all been away. So it does give you a bit of an unfair indication at times, you know, head to head sort of with the results. Mm. Any other matchups stand out for you in this one, Seppa? No, other than the fact that I'd be interested to see if they keep uh, Will Langford in the side and use him as a, a tagger on five. Because I think previous to Mitch Robinson, I think uh, Langford's been about the only one that's managed to uh, um, really hurt Fife in terms of uh, a tagging against him. Because he seems to break through anything that gets thrown against him. And I think when uh, we played Hawks at home last year, that was where uh, I think Wingford, Langford probably got the better of him and Fife struck out on uh, Lewis and had a shocker of a game. I remember that one. So let's just hope if there, if there is a matchup with uh, Fife, a bit of an edge. You know, he's just had Robinson, you know, Mitch at him for the whole four quarters. I wonder if they, they, they go with uh, Will Langford because I think he's probably rated as a good close-checking player and, and goes pretty hard as well. So it's going to be good to be 
challenge for at least sets up at the best because he's certainly going to be against a, a very good midfield of guys like Shields and Lewis and Hodge and Mitchell that will be running around on ball and, and even Burgoyne. He's a, um, a player that's been pretty informed for the Hawks this year, so it'll be interesting to see how well our midfield can cope against the talent that Hawks have. Yeah, Burgoyne's definitely the one that tends to fly under the radar a bit, and he's you know, even though he's 32, he's just a quality player. And uh, if you look at the stats that... Uh, you know, in their testing and that sort of stuff. Uh, Steph, the quickest guy over 20 metres at the Hawks is Sean Burgoyne. You know, if you think of other guys, you think of guys like Riola and Hill and those sort of, and Smith, you think would be quicker, but actually over 20 metres, Burgoyne beats them all. And mm. so he's definitely one of those players. And I think it was a game a couple of weeks ago or last week or the week before where you just saw Burgoyne burn off, you know, a player who you thought you might keep up with him. He just torched him. So he's definitely going to be a tough player. Uh, Tough matchup for anyone. It'll be interesting to see how Ross Lyon uses that in that regard. So, and playing their unsociable football, you'd have to think it's going to be a fair bit of uh, fair bit of physicality from both sides out there in the game. Yeah, hopefully, guys of our own, Subin and DeBoer, and even Clancy Pierce, to the fact, actually get in there and, and maybe give Hawthorne a bit of taste of their own medicine because if they want to play it tough, I think there's couple of guys that are more than happy to dish it back the other way. So let's just hope there's no one stupid and getting a report. But you never know if the guys want to play. We've got guys that can do it cleanly and fairly and give it to them square back. Yeah, you don't mind being tough, but you don't at the same time, you don't want to give away cheap free kicks either. And that's, you know, the other day. So I think the game on Sunday is predicted to be 14 degrees in showers. So it'll make it... Because we've played in the wet for the last five or six weeks, Seppo, it'll be interesting to see if it makes any difference for us being in those conditions where the Hawks haven't really probably played in the wet anywhere near as much and they rely on that sort of their good clean skills and kicking skills in, you know, in those short kicks. So in the wet, it may, may favour us a little bit more with the considering we've played in the wet, even though we haven't played terrifically well, just the fact that we have played in there a little bit more might, might give us some sort of advantage. Possibly yeah, it's probably... Anyway. Possibly the only advantage that we've had is just that experience in the wet that, like you said, the, the Hawks haven't, and, and obviously their game plan is based around probably clay to dry footy use. So let's just hope the uh, seven weeks of wet footy hasn't been a, a real drain on us, that it's actually and the customers to uh, playing that style of footy. So if we are going to win, that's going to be the uh, probably the key factor in that we've learned to deal with the uh, wet footy, and we've learned enough over the last couple of weeks with the... Uh, you know, that loss against Richmond and some narrow wins and, and even just playing, you know, the shocking condition coach and even just then on the weekend that some of the – you get brought down to the uh, skill levels of bad sides and when they play defensive, that um, and it's going to be a different task against the Hawks. But let's just hope we can do it. Well, that's it. well so what are you – in saying all that, Seppo, what, what is your tip for this game? Um, I'm – Tipping with my uh, head this week, not the heart. I'm going to say Hawks by an arrow, 13 points. I think it's going to be about two goals. I'll, I'll probably find some magic way to win because they're such a good side. And like Ross keeps mentioning, they are the still the best team in the comp, even though they're not sitting on top of the ladder. So um, it'll be great to get a win. But I, I feel maybe a narrow loss or just something just out of our reach might be the way to go. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. Based on the form that we've seen in the last four to five weeks between the both sides. You have to favour Hawthorne on the road. Uh, I mean, nothing making me happier if we uh, come out and 
do otherwise, but there's a reason the bookies have got them as short price favourites compared to us. And but it would be nice to just see us come out and just play a little bit stronger. Fremantle nearly at two dollars ninety, Seppo. So for a team that's two goals or two games clear at the top of the ladder, you don't see those odds too often. Yeah, it's funny. Even just uh, with the Premiership odds, I think Hawks are still favourite. But if we somehow you know win this game, the focus will probably come back on us going on for our series. So <laughs> it'll be interesting just to see uh, what it does in terms of our perception because we're not really getting the uh, attention we deserve in Melbourne. But it will probably take a, a win against the Hawks to really uh, make them stand back up and, and consider us a real contender. Yeah, and. For us, it's just a matter of being able to force those turnovers from defensive 50 to the forward 50. If you, when we talked about it before, Sebo, all of our um, stats say that we're not great at, from defensive 50 to the forward 50, where the Hawks are ranked just about one number one in the competition um, for all of those scoring from defensive 50, bringing it from defensive 50 into inside 50s. So it's really important that we get our defensive structures right between when the transition from the from the back, you know, fifty into the forward fifty for the Hawks. So, and we'll make sure that we use the ball a little bit better when we're down there as well, for sure. Yep. All right. Anything else you want to bring up this week, Sebo, before we finish up? No, I'm just going to be enjoying myself at a uh, a pub down in uh, Melbourne rather than actually being down there for this game. So, um, be brave effort for all those actually going down there and get it to witness Luke McFarlane's two fiftieth. And um, from everyone at Big Footy, I just want to wish Luke a good and safe 250th game, and let's hope we can get the four points away for him. Yeah, absolutely. And it'd be great to see, you know, Luke have a winning 250th as well. Um, and as you said, let's just hope he gets through the game unscathed and uh, continues on for the rest of the season because he's probably been arguably close to our best or, you know, with the exception of probably Fife early on, he, he'll certainly be in the top two or three along with Ibbotson for our uh, best and fairest for this year, you'd have to think. Mm. All right. Well, that's pretty much it this week, Seppo. Obviously, lots of sport on at the moment with the Ashes and the footy and the Tour de France and Wimbledon. So for all the sports lovers out there, it's pretty hard to uh, get a bit of free time with it and uh, still stay sane. But uh, it should be a uh, terrific weekend of sport. And Port Adelaide at the moment, 27 points up to seven against Collingwood. So... Well, it looks like they've uh, come out firing the first quarter. it be interesting to see if they can hold on. All right, we'll see you again next week, Seppo. Thanks again for joining us. No worries and looking forward to it. All right, that's it for this week, guys. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week. Bye for now.